You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. While we're celebrating our freedoms, let us never forget how many have never come back to their earthly families and loved ones so that we can have the freedoms we have today. Good morning to you, saints. Grace and peace to you through our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like for you this morning to please open your Bibles with me. And let me add, incidentally, the Bibles that we're privileged and blessed to be able to own and to carry around and to read. These Bibles are not just some ordinary book like so many others. Every word in these pages was inspired by the Spirit of God moving a couple of dozen men over a period of a couple of thousand years to write down exactly what God wanted to say throughout all generations all the way up to us today. And over time, over the centuries, God himself caused thousands and thousands of copies to be painstakingly handwritten so carefully that we can go to museums and we can compare manuscripts to each other and find only a few spelling changes only slightly different uses, uses of different words, none of which change any of the overall doctrines contained in these writings. God himself has protected these writings for thousands of years from godless men who have tried to wipe them off the face of the earth and keep them out of the hands of God's children. What we hold in our hand, what we're going to read together, is no different today in any significant way at all from the day the Holy Spirit of God moved Paul to write down the words that we're going to read 2,000 years ago. Let us praise God for this miracle, this work, this word that he's delivered down to us today. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Is that 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24? Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one simply beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In writing this, and in some of Paul's other writings, don't you get the sense that he might have been something of a sports fan? We've got sports fans sitting over at Bush Stadium today, and uh, they will be watching the other sports as as, uh, different teams and different seasons progress. In Paul's day, there were all kinds of sports, just as there are right now, and Paul used a lot of sports imagery to bring across the point that God was helping him to make to us. Here, he talks about a race, and prize, and games, and training. And I would like to bring today 
this passage into a context easy for us to understand by, if you will bear with me, comparing what Paul is using here to what we all know and love so much, baseball. And I want to ask all of us this question. What can the church learn from baseball? when we take this passage of scripture and compare it to the images that are so familiar to us today. So let's start by looking at this passage verse by verse and grasp the fullness of what God wants to say to us and think about the example of baseball players compared to our lives as Christians. Starting at verse 24 where Paul said, in a race everybody runs but only one runner receives that prize. So run that you may be the one who receives that prize. In baseball, all of the teams give everything they've got. They work hard. They play long, grueling seasons. Man, it's difficult. The players are away from home for long periods of time, traveling a lot. They sustain various injuries, and they continue to play through that pain for the game until at the end of the season, by the process of elimination, team by team by team has been dropped until only one team takes home that so coveted World uh, Series trophy. Only one out of all of them. What has this got to do with us, though? Well, for starters, anybody that's looking for an easy path, a coast-along ride. God says in the scriptures, following Jesus is not the place to find that. It's hard. It's difficult. There's opposition from every side. It's so hard to live by what the Lord has said to us through these pages. It's so tempting and so easy to slide off in other directions and to miss that mark God has laid out for us. Following Christ is a life of difficulty and persecution and antagonism from our friends and even from our family sometimes. Right now around the world, Christians are being thrown in prison and even worse for what this book says. So why do it? Well, the Cardinals are doing it because they want that World Series trophy. We're doing it because we've got something much more glorious, much more grand, much more lasting than that. We do it because we know and we believe what glorious prize is laid up for those who persevere to the end. And that prize is nothing less than eternal life in the indescribable presence of God's own glory. That's something worth pressing on through every difficulty for. That's something that is worth just not even comparing. Paul said at one point, the troubles of this life are not even worth comparing to the glory that is laid up for us when the end of all this comes. Baseball players, they commit themselves to, to a, a way of life that they know is not going to be easy, and they do it for a temporary benefit. They do it for a multi-million dollar contract. They do it to be popular, and they do it to get on uh, those little cards that come with bubble gum. Whatever they do it for, they do it for temporary things things that are going to pass away, things that are going to be left behind for other people to fight about and argue amongst themselves after the baseball players themselves grow old and die. Where are all those millions of dollars they've earned going to go? Be spread out to family that comes to fight over it. But we, we who are saved in Christ Jesus, we follow a path that's much more difficult than anything any baseball player has to give himself to. 
We follow a path that we know is not going to be easy, and we do it by the strength of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We do it for the promise that we have in God, not to earn that promise. We can't earn that promise. It's not possible by anything we can do to earn that promise, but we know that we already have in Christ what has been promised to us by God. While that baseball player's money cannot go with him beyond this life, we have something that not only goes with us beyond this life, but something that gets better, gets perfected, gets glorified in the life after this one. We can only get so close to walking a Christ-like path in this human life. We have our limitations, we have our weaknesses, but in the life after this one, those limitations, those weaknesses will not be there. We're taking beyond this life something that will become perfected and glorified in the one after this. We won't leave it behind like a baseball player leaving behind his fame and glory. And like the teams that don't make it to the playoffs or to postseason or to the league championships or to the World Series, they all drop off one by one. It is sad but true to say that among churches everywhere, we already know from the scriptures that there will be many among us who seem to be on the team, but who in the end will not be there with us to win that prize. Why is that? Who are those people? The scriptures are not talking about the saved saints of God who just didn't work hard enough. You can't work hard enough to hold on to what God has given you. You didn't work for it to get it. You can't work to keep it. These people, the scriptures tell us, they will not be saved Christians who along the way sinned so many times God said, whoop, that's the last one. I'm taking it back from you. We know from the scriptures that's not true. We know there are some ways that teach that. But we know what God has told us. These will be the people who sat among us in churches around the world every Sunday, singing the songs, hearing the sermons, doing the good deeds, but were never from the very beginning ever truly saved at all. They seemed to be with us, Paul says in the scriptures, but they went out from among us so that it could be known they never were a part of us from the start. Scripture says of Matthew 7.22, Many will come in my name, saying, Oh Lord, look, I did this. Look, I did that. Look, I did all these things in your name. And I will say to these people, I never did know you. Go away from me into the lake of fire. He's not talking about saved saints who he knew. He's talking about ones who claimed to be a part of the way, but who never were. Who put on the show, who did all the things, who ran along with everyone else, but were running under their own steam instead of under the power of Christ gives us in salvation. Amen? Amen? Again, also at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30, we are told by Jesus himself that the owner of the field will gather up the weeds to be burned, but he will bring the wheat into his barn. He's talking here about wheat and weeds growing side by side in the same field. The truly saved and the still unsaved sitting among the same assemblies in churches all around the planet today. We must see to it. We must run rightly. We must know that we truly are wheat. And there is a way to know that, which we will get to. There are those who put on the show and go through the motions 
but they do not rely entirely on the cross of Christ to save them. These are the people who want to say, well, yes, thank you for that, Lord, and here I'm going to add my own little bit of goodness to it to kind of help you along the way, try to make it easier for you to save me. And that's not possible. It's by an absolute surrender, an absolute denial of anything we might try to do. Christ did it all. And that is where our faith must be. People who try to add to what happened on that cross, they will not receive the prize because their running is false. Like the old saying goes, not everything that looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and swims like a duck really is a real duck. There are people all around who have all the appearances. Only God can judge the soul and the heart, but we know there are people in our own families even who put on the outward appearances but are not indwelled with that spirit of Christ which has received its salvation. But we must run in such a way, Paul says, that you may be the one who does win the prize by repentance toward God, confession of sinfulness, faith in what Jesus Christ alone has already done, and the proof which follows when that happens, the proof in the life of a person of enduring all sorts of hardships, faithfully serving and pressing on to receive the prize, the crown of glory laid up for each and every person whose name the Lamb has written in his book of life. But how? How do we run in such a way? What is that way to run? Paul tells us that also. He says by being prepared for the race. The cardinals, they don't just live however they want to, eating potato chips on their couch, getting all lazy, and just showing up at game time thinking that's the way to go to the World Series, do they? No. Not at all. They train. They train hard. They train like we cannot even imagine. Off-season, between games, they have batting coaches and pitching coaches. They practice, practice, and practice even more so that they are ready at game time. And Paul tells us at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25, everyone who is competing for the prize trains for the competition. Those people over there, those players of the sports, they train to win a crown that won't last. But we train to win a crown that will last forever. Now, today, okay, they have a nice pretty trophy that they can take home. In Paul's day, what a, the winner of a, a race would receive is a, a wreath made out of leaves. How long do you think that lasts? You can carry it around with you for a couple of years and show it off and brag about it and it's going to dry up and crumble away into nothing and then you don't have it anymore. We get crowns made of gold, we can read about, as uh, was given to John the Apostle when he wrote the book of Revelation. He saw the saints of God wearing crowns of gold that endure forever. But how... As Christians, do we train then for the competition so that we win these crowns of gold? Do we get our Jesus fix on Sunday morning and then don't think any of it uh, at all for the next six days of the week? Do we immerse ourselves during the week in the pleasures and the indulgences of this world and think that by this we're going to please God and stay in top spiritual shape? No, no, we can't do that. Do we take time every day between Sundays to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to search out our ways 
and make known any wickedness hidden in our hearts, as King David wrote in the Psalms? Do we go to God and confess daily all known and even unknown sin and thank Him for the forgiveness that He has purchased for us and given to us in Christ Jesus? Do we take time daily to read some scripture, even just a little bit of scripture, doesn't have to be a whole book or a whole chapter, but read some scripture and quietly ponder on what God is saying to us through what we're reading? Do we meet through the week with other believers for times of mutual encouragement and of praying for one another and of praising God together? These things don't have to be limited to Sundays. They can happen every day of the week. Do we take time daily before we go out into that world if the Cardinals can put on all their gear to get ready for a ball game, make sure they're in the right uniform, do we take time daily before we step out the front door of our house out into the world to put on the full armor of God, that helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, that belt of truth, those shoes of peace, that shield of faith, and that sword of the Spirit, which is this word of God, Ephesians chapter 6. It's a full ensemble. We can't leave one piece at home. We have to go out fully dressed fully ready to engage in that spiritual warfare and, and go out there and run that race. The Cardinals, as I said, train constantly, hoping to take home at the end of the season a World Series trophy, which even if they do win it, it's going to be passed along to some other team next year. I hope I didn't offend any Cardinals fans by make, making it sound like they can't win two years in a row. But the trophy will eventually be passed along to someone else. It won't be theirs anymore. We train in God's ways constantly because we are daily under attack from, the Bible says, that old adversary Satan who roams to and fro like a ferocious lion seeking whom he may devour. But training prepares us for when he comes. Training prepares us for our battles against temptation. Training brings glory to God our Father through Christ, by whom we are saved. Training takes us to unimaginable trophies that will never be taken out of our hands and given to someone else. What happens, though, to the Cardinals when they don't train? They lose games. Again, no offense to any Cardinals fans, they're going to lose a few games. Big deal, they lose a game. What happens when we don't train? What happens when we don't put ourselves through the rigorous disciplines that God wants us to? We slide into sin and we bring dishonor to the name of the God who has saved us. Oh, that's something we don't want to do. That's something we can't make up for with the next game. And Paul has just one more thing for us here. Something that we must sit up and take notice of. Something which should impact us so profoundly that if we've never taken this seriously yet, it should change us so that we take it seriously now. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, where Paul writes, I don't run just to be running. I don't just shadow box at nothing. I keep my body under discipline so that I myself do not become disqualified. Paul wasn't just going through the outward motions of being a Christian. 
Paul wasn't just putting on a good show, as so many do who sit among so many churches today. Paul kept himself under the discipline, as we must also, of relentlessly pursuing obedience to God and avoidance of sin in all of its forms. Paul knew that he, just like we, could never be fully perfected, never fully without committing sin in this life, in the next life when we're glorified, yes, but not here. But what was Paul's own response over in Romans chapter 7 when he recognized his own stumbles into sin? Who among us today will stand and say with Paul, under the discipline of what Christ wants to help us become, the sin that I hate is the very thing that I still catch myself doing. Who will deliver me, this wretched man, from this body of death? Paul saw it in himself and he hated it. And that should be our response to it too. We know we can't become 100% as perfect and glorified as Christ. We will in the next life. In this life when it happens, it's not a small thing. It's not a thing we can just make up for with a donation to a charity or some good work within the church. It's something we must hate within ourselves and strive to turn away from. He earnestly strove to obey as must we. Looking forward to that day when he would and when we would finally and forever be set free from the brokenness of this world and all of the allure and temptation that world of sin out there holds trying to draw us back. I discipline myself, Paul says, so that I may not be disqualified. In what way might he have been afraid of being disqualified? What did he mean there? Paul is not talking about losing the salvation that has been given to him and sealed with the blood of Christ, the salvation that we have. You know, we are sealed. We are given the down payment, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit for what comes after this life. God has given that to us, and we've got that. But what he was talking about was the very real consequences possible in this life of a Christian through sin, through repeated habits and patterns of sin, being removed from serving our Lord. Wow. I mean, you know, not being saved is a fearful thing. But once I am saved, the only fearful thing that I would, uh, would uh, uh, have in mind then, being taken out of serving the Lord, man, being set aside, being put on a shelf someday until he comes back because of, by my own choices and, and by my own sliding back into whatever his blood washed me clean from, I chose to go back to being taken out of serving him. Oh, that's something none of us should want to have happen. And we've all been around long enough to remember a lot of big-name people who had huge, thriving ministries who allowed themselves to slide into this scandal or that scandal, and they lost the ministries God gave them. He put someone else in their place. Even Moses, Moses himself, who can think of a holier human being than Moses? Moses struck the rock in anger when he was told to simply speak to the rock to issue forth water for the people. What happened to Moses? Oh, he wasn't the one taking them into the promised land anymore. All those years of faithful service, 
One thing he did against what God told him to do, he could peek over the mountain and look into the promised land, but he himself couldn't even go in, much less lead everyone else in. That job was given to Joshua. Oh, if God can replace Moses and promote someone else, don't any of us let ourselves dare think God can't do the same to us. A lot of cardinals and members of other teams have been disqualified from play for various reasons. Whether it's steroid use or whatever they got caught doing, they were disqualified because they did not discipline themselves to abide by the regulations of the sport. They were not cut off from the team. They didn't lose their contract. They were still members of the team, but they were not allowed to participate anymore. If the team went on to win the World Series trophy, that player couldn't say, oh yeah, I was a part of that, because he wasn't. He got himself set aside for the season, got disqualified by his own choices. He was a member of the team, but he wasn't a part of that race towards that goal. So the word of caution here to us in Paul's example is that failure to discipline ourselves, failure to observe the rules that have been set in place, letting ourselves get spiritually neglectful by not training, dabbling back into a pattern of sin, can get us disqualified and removed from the service of the ministry God has given each and every single one of us. If you're saved, you have a ministry of some sort. There's no such thing as a Christian without a ministry. So, in all of this then, back to the starting question, what can we as the church learn from baseball? Here in Paul's letter to this church at Corinth are four things that I hope every one of us will take home with us today. Number one, as baseball players endure a very difficult life, because they have their eyes set on a temporary trophy. We must press onward through every difficulty with our eyes set toward that eternal trophy of glory in heaven with the Lord God alongside Jesus Christ. And number two, as all of the baseball teams will play, but down the line they'll all get eliminated except the final one that wins the trophy, we must be certain that we are not just going through motions, that we are not eliminated when the end comes, when it comes time for the crowns to be given. We don't want to be one of those ones who jogged along with everybody else looking good, waving at the uh, news crew that's filming it or whatever is going on. We want to be in the true runners. We want to be the ones that ran according to God's direction, not under our own power, not for our own reasons, but because He has saved us and because we want to run that track as hard as we can, no matter what muscles we might strain and pull, no matter how sore we might get, keep on running because we've got that prize at the end. We don't want to be among the ones who don't make it. And three, as, base, as baseball players train hard to constantly stay in top shape, always ready to compete at 100% of their ability, we also must constantly train by prayer, by private scripture study, by this corporate attendance and worship as often as we possibly can make it, as often as we can get to it. We must be diligent 
to stay in top spiritual condition and not get slack, not get lazy about it. We should not have the attitude of, ah, I'm, I'm saved so I can coast on in. That, that's just wrong. That's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be the fastest, hardest, most struggling forward runner in the race when He saves us. And as baseball players can be removed from play, but not from team membership, when they get caught doing various things, we also can be removed from serving. Though not from salvation, but from serving when we let ourselves get lured back into the things God saved us out of. And remember, even if the world doesn't see us, we've seen a lot of big-name preachers get caught by the world and lose everything, but even if the world never sees us, God does. And God's the one who will take whatever service, whatever ministry that He's granted to us over and let someone else have it if we let ourselves get relaxed and slide back into what we came from. But we must all strive to follow Paul's example, to train for the race that is ahead, to run that race with vigor and with endurance, pressing onward for that prize by the rules and not be disqualified from serving. Amen. And I'd like to take the baseball illustration just a little bit further, if you'll bear with me, by telling you a story. Player, biggest game of the season. Yeah, this was a, a win or lose time at bat. He came up and he did what they do. You know, he got himself all loosened up and planted his feet solid and had the bat ready and pitch came to him. He swung the bat and all through that stadium you could hear that beautiful crack of the wood against the ball. You knew he had a solid hit. The ball went sailing all the way to the back wall. Oh, he knew he had it. He dropped the bat and he took off running towards first. And he hooked around first base. He looked over his shoulder. The ball was still out there bouncing. And he charged all the way to second base, put his foot on second, rounded the corner, kept on going. And when he got to third base, the coach was yelling, they don't even have the ball yet. Keep going, keep going. All the way to home and he jumped both feet with his hands in the air in what he thought was going to be victory on, on home plate there. And the very next thing that player heard was the umpire yelling, You're out! Well, out comes his manager. And you know how they do? They kick dirt against the umpire when they're mad. You put your finger on the umpire, you're ejected from the game, and kicking dirt on the umpire, what do you mean he's out? They didn't even have the ball. He made it all the way across the home plate. This whole place saw it. The TV cameras saw it. Umpire said, Yeah, yeah. The TV cameras did see it. Let's go check that replay. So they went back and they watched the replay. And yeah, he had a good solid hit. The ball was way out there in deep field. The ball never came anywhere near the guy. And yeah, he rounded all the bases and he stomped on home plate when he got there. But when they zoomed in on that instant replay, you know what happened? Not one toe ever touched first base plate. He had all the rest of it but he never touched first base plate. All they had to do was just walk that ball over, just whistling a tune, ever so casual, and just touch first plate with that ball, and he was out. And that's exactly what happened. And why am I telling you this today? Because if we think of, say, second base as our baptism, our public profession, if we think of third base as our attendance, our singing, 
our service, everything else that comes with the Christian life. And if we think of home plate as heaven, then first base is faith in what happened on that cross. First base is the gospel of what God gave us in Christ Jesus. Hanging there sinless, but counted guilty of our sin. So that when we believe, we do not have to be viewed by God as guilty of our own sin. Where it was placed upon Him, where He was punished for it, where He died for it, later in the tomb where He rose up in glory, that's first base. Nothing else is first base. Nothing else matters. You can swing the bat, you can hit the ball, you can run around every base, you miss first plate, you're out, and you can do all the rest of it. I can be up here preaching. Okay, great, big deal. Thank you, Lord, for letting me do it. But if I haven't touched first base, if I haven't started the race with faith at that cross, it all means nothing to me in the end. I lose, I'm out, I'm damned, I'm going to hell without starting at the first base of Jesus Christ. Do not run in vain. Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. The only way to obtain that prize is to start at first base. As if you know today that you've never really touched first base yet, or perhaps you're not really sure whether you have or not, you can stop right now. You can stop running in vain. You can stop going through all the motions that won't mean anything in the end. You can come back and touch first base. Come back and start where it rightly starts, the only place it starts. Faith in the atoning blood of Christ Jesus. If you feel deep inside and you know that honestly that touches the cord, I would urge you, don't go home today without talking to one of the deacons, even talking to a friend sitting next to you, or if you wish, talking to me. So I guarantee you, every one of you are worth as much of my time as you need today. Praise the Lord Jesus for that first base that lets us run on winning that prize. Amen.